I'm Mike Breen, talking with Dmitry Tomasko, who's Arthur Scribner Bicentennial Preceptor in the Music Department at Princeton University. Dmitry also is the composer of the music you heard at the beginning and in the background. It's called Piano Games. It's his composition. Uh, and today we're talking about how he has used math to analyze music. Dmitry, could you, could you tell us a little bit about what you did? Sure. Basically, what my paper tries to do is show that there is a close analogy between traditional terms from music theory and relatively recent terms from geometry. And the link between these two seemingly different languages is the idea of a quotient space. Uh, essentially, what musicians do when they comprehend music is they abstract away from information. So when we talk about a chord, like a C major chord, or when we talk about a chord type, like a, like a major chord, uh, what we're doing is we are abstracting away from features of the musical stimulus. And essentially, the language of quotient spaces, and in particular, the geometrical language of orbifolds, is tailor-made for modeling this activity. How long did it take you to come up with this idea? Well, it's a very gradual process, so it, it, there's not really a, a particular moment at which you realize that you have the idea. Um, I would say that I began in June of 2004 trying to model abstractly how musicians connect chords to one another. And I worked on this project solely algebraically for about three months. And at the end of the summer, a friend of mine and I traded papers, and he'd been working on some geometrical representations of music that looked like they had nothing to do with what I was doing. And we sort of traded notes, and it seemed to both of us that there was a connection between what we were doing, but we couldn't really explain what it was. I guess it was a few weeks later I was sitting at home alone in the evening. My wife had gone up to Boston for, for a few days, and I started drawing little pieces of, uh, drawing little geometrical figures on a piece of paper. Eventually, I got myself a pair of scissors and started cutting up the paper and rearranging it, and after a couple hours, I realized that I had made a Mobius strip out of, um, out of uh, my map of two-note musical chords. And so, really, there was this one evening where the musical things I'd been thinking about came together with a standard uh, geometrical language. Now, the Mobius strip you mentioned and then the quotient spaces you were talking about earlier, that's kind of a way of identifying points that might not look to be close, you might say, or identifiable to begin with? Sure. Well, if you think about it, geometrical objects like tori um, are very natural things that appear in music. And the reason for this is that in music we have an octave. So when I play a middle C and a high C, these two different musical notes um, share a quality. As Maria says in The Sound of Music, the note T brings us back to Do. So when you're thinking about music, you're often thinking about circles and points that live on, um, instead of living in normal Euclidean space, live on tori, where the axes are circular. And musicians, when they think about music, essentially what they are doing is they're thinking about unordered collections. So we don't like to think about chords as having a first note, a second note, and a third note. We like to think of chords as essentially unordered objects. So what you're really doing is you're starting with a torus, and then you're gluing together points on that torus that represent 
different ways of ordering the same notes. And so mathematically, what you're really doing is you're, you're trying to talk about the geometry of unordered collections, right? Normal Cartesian geometry is about ordered pairs or ordered n-tuples of points. And that's convenient mathematically, but from a musical standpoint, it's much more sensible to talk about unordered objects. So basically what I had to do is rediscover for myself the geometry of unordered sets. And, and this discovery that you have, it's, uh, it's, pretty, it's very broad in scope. It encompasses uh, all music, and it, uh, the result was so impressive that it's the first music article ever published in the journal Science. Is that right? Yeah. As far as I know, it was the first article published in Science. I should say what these ideas are, what they're most useful for is talking about Western music. Um, there are lots of, I mean, in theory, these geometrical spaces I've described can be used to describe any music. Um, but a lot of non-Western music is relatively uninteresting from my geometrical standpoint because it tends not to involve the idea of chords that change relatively quickly. Uh, this idea that music should consist of chords and that the chords should articulate independent melodies is one that's, that's particular to Western music. Um, that said, it's particular to a very broad range of Western music stretching back more than 500 years. So what's neat about the spaces is that they kind of show us a, a space of musical possibilities in which Western composers tend to operate even if they have very different stylistic proclivities. And so this gives you a kind of a general way of getting a handle on similarities among musical styles that aren't immediately apparent when you first see them. And, and are people surprised uh, at this amount of mathematics you've uh, put together with music? A lot of times people think that you know, the arts and sciences just don't go together at all. Well, it's funny. There is that, but then people also have the sneaking suspicion that music is fundamentally mathematical. So um, those two tendencies kind of war at each other. I, I will say that in general, mathematicians and physicists, their first reaction when I started telling them that orbifolds were useful for modeling musical objects, their first reaction was one of disbelief, just because they didn't think that, you know, they tend to think of orbifolds as very advanced mathematical concepts, or at least very recent ones, and they think of music as a, um, a very spiritual and emotional thing. But if you really think about it, that attitude is, is not very sensible, because after all, orbifolds can be useful for describing wallpaper. And I think the, the connection here would be less surprising if I said, well, you know, the idea of wallpaper is useful for describing music. In some sense, it's just the, the fact that, the, you know, orbifolds happen to have been discovered relatively recently, and they seem like a newfangled contraption. But they're, they're really, from my point of view, they're, they're pretty intuitive and relatively simple mathematical constructions. And, and is there any particular thing you're, you're working on now? As a matter of fact, yes. What I'm working on now is a new paper um, with two collaborators, uh, Clifton Callender and Ian Quinn, where we try to extend my geometrical model of 
chords and voice leadings to a much broader class of models. What we're trying to show is that there's a whole family of geometrical spaces, 32 in, to be precise, and that these different geometrical spaces can be used to represent many different aspects of musical structure. So for example, we can construct spaces where all major chords are represented by a single point. So what this new work does is kind of provide a much broader and more general account of the relation between geometry and music theory, and it describes a whole family of new but related geometrical spaces that are all useful for describing music. Okay, Wes, Dmitry Tomasko, uh, who is Arthur Scribner Bicentennial Preceptor at Princeton University and in the music department at Princeton University. Dmitry, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Nice talking to you. Thank you.